Over these next six Sundays beginning today, we're going to be focusing in the sermon time on prayer. And certainly, we all know about prayer, but maybe we don't know all about prayer, right? I know I don't. I've been reading a couple of books to refresh me, and I've learned some things already in reading about prayer and preparing myself for this 40-day period. And I really want to encourage you, uh, even if you're not in a Sunday school class, to get in on this 40-day event. You see, 40 days seems to be significant in the Bible. How long was Noah on the ark when it rained? 40 days. How long was Jesus in the wilderness under temptation? And if you look through Scripture, you find a lot of significant things happen in a 40-day period. And one of the reasons I think for that is that it takes about 40 days to change habits. Could take longer for some of us, for a little weak will. Maybe shorter for others who are a little bit more uh, militarily minded, a little bit more disciplined already. And so we want to help you as much as possible to form new habits or better habits concerning your prayer life. I'm convinced that nothing of significance happens in a church except through prayer. And sometimes we preachers need encouragement to pray. You know, sometimes it's easy for us to get so busy in religious activities that we don't take the time to pray that we need to take. And so all of us, I think, need a refresher and an encouragement to pray. And so that being said, I want you to go to the Lord with me in prayer right now. And uh, let me give us a guided time in prayer. And, And as I mention certain things, would you just pray in your heart to the Lord about these things this morning? Let's just bow together. Let's just take a moment to thank God for things that he has done for us in recent days. There are many things we can say about God's character and personality, but focus on two or three things for a moment and just thank God for who he is. He is love. He is kind. He is faithful. He is true. He is righteous. He is altogether holy. He is long-suffering. He is patient. He is gentle. He is strong. He can do anything. He's the creator. There's probably someone in your heart that you really know needs your prayer. Someone who's struggling. Someone who's in a situation that just is troubling them. Lift that person or those persons up to the Lord, if you will, right now. And take a moment to pray for yourself. What is your biggest need right now? What is your biggest spiritual need right now? Bring it before the Lord. Whether it's a physical need, a financial need, a a need about your emotions, your job, your family. But also pray for your own soul, your own spiritual need right now. And Father, we pray together that you will touch each of us and encourage us and train us in how to pray better. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, for our scripture reading today, I've listed several prayer scriptures that are some of my favorites and some of the outstanding verses in the Bible about prayer. And what I'd like for you to do is let's just all follow on the screen and read these verses in unison. And as we read them together, let's uh, also read the, the uh, address, the uh, scripture reference for each of these verses. 
And so join me, if you will, and let's look at all these verses and let's just recite them together as we start off. Let's start off with the address and then we'll read the verses and then we'll go on to the next one. John 14, 12a. Truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Let's just read the scripture and, and not read the reference because that's, that's going to interfere with what we're doing. Let's just read the scripture itself. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak. Okay. Is that it? Okay, there it is. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Pray constantly. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Amen. Now, those are some great verses, and I don't know that there's any one this morning that I want us to focus on except, you know, those uh, together. And uh, this morning, I don't have so much as a, of a sermon as I do a lesson, okay? A lesson. And uh, the title of the message today is Why Pray, and I actually left off the last two words, or last three words. The whole title of the message today is Why Pray When You Can Worry, right? I mean, you could worry about stuff and, and fidget and, and complain to other people and just bury yourself in worry so much so that you can't even sleep, or you can pray. And when you really pray you won't worry. You see, worry is a sin. It's a sin. And so when you worry, you're not trusting God with your circumstances. When you worry, you don't have any confidence that God is at work on your behalf. When you worry, it's almost as though you're taking this whole load on yourself and you're neglecting your relationship to the Father and you're denying your Father in heaven the opportunity to work on your behalf. But when we pray aright, we don't have to worry. And if you keep on worrying, go right to prayer again. Just keep on going to prayer. And you see, if the devil who tempts you to worry knows that every time you're tempted to worry, you start praying, he's not going to tempt you to worry nearly as much because he doesn't want you to pray. And the reason why he keeps on tempting you to worry is because he knows he can get you to do it and you won't pray. Well, that's enough preaching. Let me get to the lesson this morning. Prayer is a discipline and a delight. Do you have that in your notes? Yeah, see it right up there at the top, the introduction? Prayer is both a discipline and a delight. Now, here's what I mean by that. To be a a faithful person of prayer, 
a regular, consistent person of prayer, you have to institute discipline of yourself. Nobody can make you do this. You have to decide, I'm going to do this. And if you haven't had a regular, consistent prayer time, whether it's morning, evening, noon, whatever it is, not really important, if you haven't had that, you will find it difficult to establish it in your life. The devil will tempt you, and you will forget about it, and you will find other things that you should be doing. You will find your mind wandering. You will trouble yourself about it, and, and if unless you discipline yourself, you won't do it. And so this morning, if you will say to yourself, self, for the next 40 days, I'm going to spend at least, you fill in the blank, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 60 minutes, 90 minutes. I'm going to spend at least this many minutes each day in prayer for 40 days. You have to make it a discipline or you won't do it. If you think, well, I'll find the time. No, you won't. The devil will keep you from finding the time. You have to set a time that's right for you. And if you decide you're going to get up earlier in the morning to pray, that means, guess what? You're going to have to go to bed earlier at night. Some of you may have to miss the 11 o'clock news to go to bed early enough, to get up early enough, to have the time you need to pray, even if it's 15 minutes, which isn't all that much once you get into it. And so in that sense, it's a discipline, but here's the flip side of that same coin. Once you establish a prayer time, it becomes a delightful exercise every day, and you will be refreshed, and you will be strengthened when you do it. It's kind of like losing weight. I know that's a bad topic to talk about in a sermon. But some of you, some of us, have struggled with overweight. I've been overweight since I was in the third grade. I know what it's like to go on diets. In fact, I've had several times where I felt like going down to Weight Watchers and turning myself in. <laughs> but what happens sometimes when, you, when you're overweight and you realize it and you have to do something about it, you have to discipline yourself. And there are many plans, and, and all of them will work probably if you just do it. But there's a discipline. But once you take the discipline and you lose the weight, aren't you delighted at the result? kind of makes you want to go out and have a chocolate chip cookie and a milkshake, doesn't it? But it gives you that sense of delight. And so prayer is going to be the same way. Now, if you already have a consistent prayer time, you know what I'm talking about. If you already have a period each day where you pray to God, you get alone someplace, you find a way to just talk with God, you already know that's a wonderful divine appointment and you wouldn't miss it unless you absolutely had to for the world. Now, here's two things I want to do today in this lesson. Uh, I want to ask the question, what is prayer? And we're going to start off with three negative statements and then have three positive statements. And then I want to give you five things that a consistent prayer life will do for you. Five things that will be benefits to you if you start having a consistent prayer time. Let's look at what prayer really isn't. First of all, it's not saying your prayers. I have a friend who's on the Facebook. They used to live around here and we shared great fellowship over a period of time. They used to come to our house for a small group for two or three years going on about every week. And she writes these little messages in Facebook to all of her followers. And somewhere there at the end, she said, be sure to say your prayers. 
Now, I think I know what she means, but listen, there are so many folks who say prayers, but they don't pray prayers. Do you say a prayer or do you pray a prayer? Now, I'm not opposed to written prayers. In fact, if you want to try this, get a, an Episcopal book of common prayer, the Anglican book of common prayer. It has some great prayers in it, written by great men and I guess women, I don't know if there are any women in there or not, but great men and women of God over many centuries of time even. And you can actually pray through those prayers. For instance, uh, if you want to open your Bible, there are some wonderful prayers in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, in the Psalms especially. It's okay to read those, but pray them as you read them. Don't just say them out loud. And so prayer is not just saying words. Something different between calling out words and actually talking to God. The second negative is, it is not mumbo-jumbo for good luck. Let me give you an example of that. When my sons played basketball here at Anahan in high school, they, they didn't understand that the team, before they went out to play the game, had a little ritual. They'd go out in the court and they'd warm up, then they'd go back in the locker room, and they had this little ritual. They'd all get in a little huddle, and the coach would start off with these words that nobody understood, and everybody kind of mouthed some mumbo-jumbo. And one day, one of my sons said to the coach, Coach, what is this that we're doing before we go out to play? And the coach said, well, Pete, I'm sorry that you don't understand that. You of all people, your dad being a minister and everything, you ought to understand. He said, well, what is it? He said, well, we're reciting the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> well, we never taught our kids to recite the Lord's Prayer. And so Pete said, Coach, why don't you let me pray for us? And from there on out, Coach called on Pete to have prayer. Now what they were doing was like a, a lucky rabbit's foot. And it's just about as good a luck as it did for the rabbit who donated the foot. Right? That's not much luck, is it? And so don't expect that your rote prayer is going to be real prayer. It's just saying some mumbo-jumbo and hoping, you know, something good will come out of it. I know when I was a kid, my two sisters and I, before Mark was born, uh, dad or mom would call on one of us kids to have the prayer before the meal. And I can't remember it right now, but we all three prayed exactly the same thing every meal. And I don't know who started it or how it kept going so long, but, th but that was just mumbo jumbo. We were hungry and we had to say it real quick, you know, because we wanted to get to the food, you know. Amen, Holy Ghost, who eats the fastest gets the most is the prayer that some kids like to pray. You know, or over the lips and through the gums and watch out stomach, here it comes, amen. Now let's eat. It's about as good as that. Number three, it is not trying to say the right things to impress God or people. Now I hesitate to say this in church because I know some of you are, are called upon from time to time to lead in prayer. And, and I know Josh and I and, and Bryant, we're kind of professional prayers. I know, I, know I, I was preaching in a revival over in Maryland several years ago, and the pastor said, now on this day, I think it was a Tuesday, uh, the, the folks in our church who can get away are, are going to bring potluck lunch, and we're going to eat together, and we're going to have lunch. And you know some of our ladies are the best cooks in the world, and I'm convinced that the Baptists know how to cook because, you know, we have the biggest stomachs around. But anyway... I thought to the, myself, this pastor is going to call on me to pray. So I got ready. And I was trying to be honest in my prayer because I've been around Baptists a lot, especially at eating meetings. You know, we like to meet, eat, and greet, right? And so when he called on me to pray, which he did that day, I said, Lord, 
Please help us not to use this occasion as a way to show forth our gluttony, <laughs> but help us to eat sensibly that will honor and glorify you in our bodies. And I tell you, there could you could have heard a pin drop when that prayer was over, <laughs> and folks weren't sure if they're supposed to eat or go home and fast. They didn't know what to do at that point in time. But you know, I didn't leave any doubt in anybody's mind, and so we're not supposed to just try to impress the people. Uh, and when you, when you have the offertory prayer, or when you pray in your Sunday school class, or when, when you're praying at a prayer meeting where several people are around, it's so easy to think about what people think when I'm praying, rather than think about God when I'm praying. So we need to pray as though we're talking to God and not to the people. Okay, now here are three positive statements about what prayer really is. Number one, as number four in your notes, it is honest communication with our Heavenly Father. Now you see, you don't need to tell God what's happened. He knows what's happened. You don't need to tell God the circumstances. He knows the circumstances. You just talk to Him as though He was standing right there beside you. In fact, I've heard this used as a way to help young Christians learn how to pray. And, and the instruction is, sit down in a chair and have a, a chair in front of you that's empty and, and talk as though you could imagine Jesus Christ sitting in that chair. Just imagine you're talking to him just like he was there physically in front of you. And how would you do that? Well, thank you, Jesus, for being here, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for taking my request, Jesus, and all this stuff. Just pray like he was sitting right there in front of you as a person. Just communicate honestly. Number two, it is bringing before our Father desires, failures, fears, and devotions. All that. You ever get upset about something, didn't go the way you think it should go? Somebody cheated you, somebody said something bad about you, you missed out on something great, and you're really discouraged? Tell God about it. Even though he knows about it, he needs you to tell him about it. He needs to understand how you feel. And also, when you have something that you really desire, surely bring it to God. And when you have a failure, when you have something that you're afraid of, and you want to tell God that you do love him and appreciate him, that he, you're thankful that he let you be born and that he gave you the circumstances of your life. And here it is, number six, in your notes. Here's what the essence of prayer is. It is giving to our Father thanksgiving, praise, and honor for who He is. It's recognizing Him for who He is and giving Him those things which He deserves just because of who He is. Now, if you understand prayer in something similar to this, and I'm not saying this is the be-all, end-all for instructions on what prayer is, but just if you understand this little bit of what prayer is, it should make you want to have a conversation with God. And by conversation, I mean you might want to stop after you say a few things and pause for a minute and see if there's anything that God kind of speaks to you. Or you might want to look in the Scriptures and see if there's anything that's pertinent. I normally read my scripture passage for the day before I pray. And I have a plan that I've been using for a while now where I read through the Bible every year and I'm just about finished for this year. I've been reading ahead some and I'm, I'm just about to finish the book of Revelation now. And that means I've read through the Bible for this year. So I'll read a, a chapter. I, I've been reading 10 chapters in some of the books 
And after reading those passages and, and underlining some of the phrases or some of the words that sort of jumped out to me, then I pause and think about that and I begin talking to God about it and I begin uh, saying some things to God that, that's on my heart. And then I'll wait a minute, so does anything in the scripture relate to that? Is there anything God is impressing on me about that? So it's more of a conversation than anything else. And so here's how I think God speaks to us and blesses us. This is what prayer will do for you when you have a consistent prayer life. Here's the first thing. Prayer reorders my priorities. Now, how does that happen? Well, when you see things in a different light, when you're talking with God, then before you talk with God, you realize some of your priorities may not be in order. Let me give you an example. In my first pastorate, I was just starting out. I was still finishing up college, and Libby and I had just been married and I was gung-ho. I was so happy that God had called me to be a preacher. I was so happy to be the pastor of this small flock of people. And every Sunday, I just did my best to preach everything I knew, and some things I only suspected. But I gave it my best. And one day, after the service was over, this lady, I mean, this young man, came up to the church. I mean, church was over, and people were leaving. Everybody was almost gone. He came up, said, I need to see the preacher. And I said, well, you're looking at him. He said, I've got a problem and I need some help with it. I said, okay, let's sit down. So we sat down and he, he told me what had happened just that morning at his house. His wife had kicked him out. And she had been really mean to him and ugly. And she said, I don't want to see you again. I want you to leave this house. I want you to get out of here. And he said, I don't understand what this is all about. I haven't done anything to hurt her. And I thought to myself, well, I'll be. She shouldn't do that. So I got in my car after we chatted and took my wife home. Then I went over to the dress where he said his wife was. And I knocked on the door, and I was just about to straighten her out. And she said, may I tell you about the circumstance? I said, sure, tell me. And by the time I talked to her, I wanted to run him down and, you know, give him a little, a little misunderstanding or something with my fist, you know. So how does that work? You know, you hear this and you hear that, and, and how do you decide what's right and what's true? Let me tell you how you decide. You talk to the Father. You talk to the Father. And so when you are in communication with God, when you are laying before Him your heart, your motives, when you're in the Word, God's going to straighten out your priorities. And some of the things that we've given ourselves to that to us are very, very important to God doesn't really matter that much. But God has an agenda for your life. God has a plan for your life. And so if you get into a consistent prayer time, you can bet on this. You're not supposed to bet. You can make a Christian wager on this. That God is going to straighten out your priorities. He's going to help you see things from a different perspective. And he's going to help you to have strength and energy to move forward with those priorities. Okay, here's number two. Prayer develops an intimacy with God. An intimacy with God. Let me give you a couple of things that I think a lot of Christians struggle with. If I said today, how many of you really truly love God? Don't raise your hands now. But if I said this, and in all honesty, everybody who truly loves God would raise their hands. Do you think you could raise your hand honestly? 
and say you love God. Let me put it another way. How many of you has, have as the greatest delight in your life to do God's will for your life and to obey all of God's commandments? You see, if those two things were true, if you loved God, truly loved God, if you really wanted to obey his commandments and do his will in everything, I wouldn't have to preach about anything. You'd put this preacher out of work. Why is that? Because if those two things were true about your life, you would constantly be going about doing the work of the Father, doing the will of God, serving in every capacity that God had given you the ability to serve in. We wouldn't have to have a nominating committee. How about that, Sarah? Where's Sarah? She's up uh, There she is. We wouldn't have to have a nominating committee. Can you say amen? We didn't hear you. Why is that? Well, people would just jump at the possibility of serving God in some way. People would just volunteer. I'll do that. Somebody needs to, oh, if that needs to be done, I'll do it. But what happens so many times is we have to train our hearts and train our minds to love God. Now, I, I was reading uh, in Yancey's book, the, the author of our study in the 40 Days of Prayer, and he talked about how honestly we can say, God, I don't love you very much. I don't feel love for you like I want to. God, would you help me to learn to love you? You ever pray that way? I've been praying that way this week, <laughs> that God would help me to learn to love him. Uh, that it's more than a job for me as a pastor. That it's more than just checking off on my list while I had my prayer time this morning but that I really, truly want to desire his will, his plans, his way, his commands for my life. You see, Jesus said, if you love me, what will you do? Keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. And one of his first commandments to the disciples, according to the Gospel of John, is, if you love me, love my brothers. I love my other children, my other sons and daughters. Love your brothers and sisters. Lay down your life for one another, you see. And so when I get consistent, when I spend time with the Father, He builds into me this desire for intimacy with Him so that I can talk with Him and share with Him anything and everything and there's no fear, there's no fear that He's going to reject me. God, if you really know what I'm thinking, you might reject me. No, it never happens that way. There is nothing you can tell God in all honesty that he will reject you for. And, and by the way, he won't even be angry. I saw a bumper sticker years ago and it said, Jesus is coming soon and boy is he angry. I understand the sentiment, but that's not true. When you go to God and you confess sin, you think God's angry? Nope. Because another truth when you go to God honestly is he's never ever surprised. He already knows. And it doesn't do him any good for you to confess your sins. It does us good. It does us good. And so when you have this intimate time with God, that is you spend time with him and him alone, and, and you just talk to him and tell him your heart's burdens when you talk to him and tell him your heart's secrets, and when you ask him for those things that he longs to give you, you will develop such a sweet spot for prayer that you will not want to miss one time in your prayer life. Here's number three. 
Prayer, real prayer, makes me realize who I am and who God is. Now, oftentimes we have false images of both God and ourselves. Let me start with God. If you're looking for a biblical image, a biblical picture of who God really is, I would suggest you look at the story that we call the prodigal son. Remember that story? It's one of the most loved stories in all of Jesus' parables. It's one of those stories that really brings warmth to our hearts. It really makes us glad we're saved, glad we're Christians. But you can imagine, here is the father who realizes that what the son, the younger son, is asking him for is probably not best for the son. He realizes that he's taking a big gamble, he's taking a big chance, he's, he's, he's giving the son this, this choice, and yet he says, okay, I'm giving you these gifts, I'm giving you these opportunities, I gave you life, I gave you resources, now do with them as you please. Isn't that the way God treats us? Does God ever put conditions on you about the stuff he puts in your hands? Does God make you give money to the church or to other Christian organizations? Does God force you to come to church? Does God make you pray or make you read his word? Does he do it? No, no. He gives you time. He gives you resources. He gives you opportunity. He gives you abilities. And he gives you freedom. At some point, the prodigal son had wasted all of his opportunities, resources. All of his abilities were focused on feeding swine. And for any Jewish person, that would be the lowest of the low. And then he came to himself, the Bible says. And he said, you know, my father's hired hands eat better than I do. And I'm going to go ask my father if he would hire me as a servant. I don't expect him to take me back as a son. I don't expect him to let me live in the big house. I don't expect him to let me eat at his table. I would just like to eat like the servants eat and have whatever the servants have. That would be enough. And you remember the story when the son got close to home. Who was out in the street to meet him? The father. Now, what did the father say to him? I knew that was going to happen. I, I knew it. I told you so. Anybody here ever do that? <laughs> We've done that, haven't we, as parents? What did the father do? First thing he did was he ran and he hugged him. <laughs> I just love that scene in my mind. And here's this picture of a Christian who's gotten out of God's will who've gone off and squandered opportunities, squandered money, squandered witness, squandered. And he comes to God kind of cowering, you know, like a dog that's fearful of getting a beating. And the father hugs him and kisses him and says to the other servants, get a robe, get a ring for his finger. We're going to have a party. That's the father. That's the father. And you know, when you have a consistent time with the Father, you'll discover that's who He is. He's not going to scold you. He's not going to slap you across the face. I told you so. I told you so. You shouldn't have done that. Nah, 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 nah. Nobody wants to come home to that. You drive them away. Now, little kids sometimes need discipline, but that's not, that's not any good. 
So when you have that consistent time, you're going to learn who God really is. But you can also learn who you are. And there are a couple of things about ourselves that we need to learn. And they're, they're both extremes. One extreme says, I am a worthless sinner. I am a scoundrel. I am a skunk. I've really messed up so many times. I'm even embarrassed to ask God to forgive me again. But the other side is just the opposite. God, you owe me this because I've been good. One you see is the younger brother. The one is the older brother. And neither one represents a true picture of who a Christian is. Nobody has done anything for which God owes them anything. You've been faithful in church all your life. You've been giving honestly to, to the church for Long, long time, maybe tithes and offerings on top of that. You've been serving faithfully. Maybe you've been a deacon, a Sunday school teacher. You've served in the church. You've done your time in the nursery. All these things you've done. Now, God, I never asked you for anything, but now I'm asking you for something. Will you? Do you deserve anything from God? He's been good all along, hasn't he? But on the same time, are you so down and out and so far in your sinfulness and rebellion that you should expect nothing from God. You see, your intimate time with God, your consistent prayer time with God, helps you to understand that you are a beloved child of God, and He loves you just as much as He ever did. There is no single sin, there is no amount of sin that will keep you out of fellowship with God if you simply acknowledge it. If you simply are willing to say, Father, I've really blown it. If we apply 1 John 1, 9, it says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us small unrighteousness. Just simply coming to Father and say, hey, man, I'm really sorry. I feel bad, and uh, I'm just trusting you to forgive and cleanse. And all the forgiveness has already been there through the blood of Jesus. Remember how many times did Jesus die on the cross? How many? One, One time. How many sins did he forgive? All sins. God doesn't owe me anything, but heaven is open to me for everything. Consistent prayer helps me to know who I am and who God is. Isn't that a marvelous thing? We continue in this pathway of self-discovery all through our Christian life. And it doesn't put us on any pedestal. It doesn't make us better than anybody else. It simply humbles us to realize how God has made us and who he's made us to be. Let's go on. Look at number four in your notes. It says, consistent prayer strengthens my soul. Now, what is your soul? It is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Let me remind you that the most uh, negative thing you can do in regards to your soul is to get these three in reverse order. That's not saying there's anything wrong with emotion, but emotion is the caboose and not the, the engine on the train. Mind is your ability to consider issues. Your mind is your ability to reason, to think, to know things. Your will is your ability to do things, to commit to do things, to decide to do things. And your emotion is how you feel about things. I've known people who were so emotion-driven 
that they could hear the best sermon on some theological topic, but because the preacher didn't put some emotion into it, because he didn't use some illustrations that brought forth some emotion, they thought, boy, that was cold and dry, wasn't it? Now, I think we need to have a balance, don't you think so? I think in, in the preaching and teaching of God's Word, if you have some illustrations, it helps. Illustrations are like windows, they let light in. And I think a little humor doesn't hurt. I think Jesus used some big humor. You don't believe Jesus used big humor. If you study the culture and the context of some of the things Jesus said, probably some of his listeners would laugh until they were rolling in the dirt. Let me give you an example. Jesus said it's easier for a rich man to enter heaven than it is. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. And they, they would think about a camel going through, oh, 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 they would just roll laughing. Now, we don't think that's very funny because we've got all kinds of comedy all around us. We've had TV shows and movies and all kinds of stuff about comedy. You can even get it on your radio 24-7. That would have been extremely funny in those days. So what happens in prayer? Well, my mind will be clearer and sharper about the issues that really matter. Let me give you an example. Do you know anybody who's really torqued about the election coming up in 2020? Anybody? Yeah. But you know what? When you spend time consistently in prayer, those things really don't matter. Guess who makes all the big decisions about our world? That's right. It's not the president. It's not the Congress. It's not the Supreme Court. It's our Heavenly Father. Now, that doesn't mean we just hide our hand, head in the sand and don't vote. I agree that we should vote. We should do the best we can. But listen, that's not the power source. We need to pray with our minds clearer and sharper. My will will be stronger and focused. My will. My commitment, my ability to make a commitment and stay with the commitment. See, a lot of commitments are broken because you probably shouldn't have made the commitment in the first place. I mean, you know, I've, I've bought some things. I'm, 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 uh, I'm one of those easy sales. We had a guy come through our house one time, uh, to our house. He was, uh, I don't know if he was a seminary student, but we were seminary students, poor as a church mouse. Well, we were probably poorer than that. At least the church mice could get in a, in a communion juice and have a feast. But anyway, he was selling Encyclopedia Britannica. And I don't know how much they cost, but there was no way we could buy that set. But then he said... And it only cost you this much a month. And I said, sign me up. And I can't tell you how many times I regretted doing that. And about the time we got those things paid for, you know what came along? The internet. <laughs> they don't even sell encyclopedias anymore, I don't think. And I can't tell you how, how few times I ever used them. I, I just could see myself delving into those, those uh, encyclopedias, doing research for sermons. Didn't happen. And so I, I didn't have a strong enough will to resist. I just gave in to my flesh because I wanted it, I wanted it, I wanted it. How do you get a stronger will? How do you get a will that focuses on the main issues and let other stuff? Well, you spend time in prayer. That's one of the things that consistent prayer would do for you. Then the third thing is consistent prayer will make your emotions fully operational. Fully operational. I started playing golf several years ago with a man over in Mount Pleasant. It didn't seem like he ever smiled. And one of my golfing buddies who played with us, he said, we're going to make him smile. 
And I thought to myself, there's something wrong with that guy. I still think there is, by the way. Don't tell him I said so. Of course, you don't know who it is, but I don't know. Josh may know. <laughs> and I thought, this guy is emotionally stunted. I don't know what it was. Something happened in his early childhood. Something happened, I don't know, somewhere in his life. He got stunted emotionally. But when you spend time with God, he will open your emotions to become naturally operational. Now, some of you will say, I'm not a very emotional person. Yes, you are. You really are. You may not allow your emotions to show, but all of us are built with emotions. And when I was a little boy, you know what they used to say to me? Big boys don't cry. I grew up thinking that men don't cry. And I learned that's not right. See, my emotions have been stunted by that. And so when you get into consistent prayer time, God opens up your emotions to where you can really rejoice in things that are worthy of rejoicing, and you can really weep with those who weep, and, and weep for your own sake. I had the biggest struggle with my emotions that I've ever seen on two occasions. One was the day Libby and I got married, and uh, I saw my mother brought down the aisle to the wedding, and she was crying. And boy, that broke my heart. I thought, wow, she didn't want to give me up. I don't know what I was thinking. Boy, that just broke my heart. And the second time was when I was conducting my mother's funeral. I'm so glad I could weep that God had opened my emotions. Here's the last thing. Prayer prepares me for spiritual warfare. Prayer prepares me for spiritual warfare. Now, it's not what you might think. This time in prayer with God on a consistent basis will not necessarily make you stronger against the devil. Hear what I'm saying now, that's important. You'll miss it if you don't hear this. Instead of making me stronger to face the devil, my prayer time will make me more dependent upon the Lord. How many of us have enough strength to defeat the devil? None of us. He's powerful, more powerful than we are, but he has no power, not nearly any power that would actually cause our Father and the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit to stumble or fall. So what my prayer time does, it makes me more aware of the presence of God and the strength of God, and it makes me more aware of the temptations that the enemy will have before me, and that's one of the reasons Jesus taught us to pray in the model prayer and lead us not into temptation. And where it says temptation, fill in where you get tempted. Lead us not into the Krispy Kreme store. Or wherever it is that you get bothered. Lead us not into pornography on the internet. A lot of men are bothered by that. And I understand by reading that some women are too. I never talk with a woman who's been bothered by that. Uh, lead us not into the dress shop where I'm tempted to run up a big bill on my charge card. Fill in the blank. And so what this prayer time does for me is it gives me the awareness of God, the awareness of the enemy always find me, and the willingness, the awareness, the ability to depend on God. And what does it say in 1 Corinthians 10, 13? No temptation has taken you but is common to man, but God is faithful who will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. 
And so he strengthens me in this way. He helps me recognize the escape path. He helps me to recognize how I can escape the temptation without sin. And that's how prayer blesses my life. Now, I read a story, a true story, about prayer that I want to share with you. This happened in November of 1983. Two men named David and Ray agreed to pray together for a group of people in Africa called the Tira, T-I-R-A. There were 40,000 then of Tira, and they did not have a scripture in their own language, no Bible. And so David and Ray said, we're going to pray for this people group that God would get them the scriptures in their language. Two and a half years later, a couple, Jerry and Jen, Jan, decided to join them in that prayer. And so after two and a half years of praying, this couple joined, and they began to pray for the tear that they would have the Bible in their language. Then in March of 1990, almost seven years, six and a half years later, another couple called Jane and Marjean wrote Wycliffe. You know about Wycliffe, the Bible translators, they're all over the world, and they have this great uh, linguistics institute. And uh, this, this two ladies wrote, Jane and Marjean, wrote to Wycliffe and said, would you please give us the name of a people group in Africa who needs the Bible in their language? And so they gave them the name of the Tira, and they began praying. So now from 1983 to 1990, here are six people praying specifically for this people group in Africa. In August of 1990. Pretty fast, isn't it? A Tira man named Avanjani, Avajani, I'm trying to say this correctly, and I'm not sure if I am. A man named Avajani began translating the Bible into the Tira language, totally unaware that anybody was praying for his people group. He didn't know about it. But later, when he learned that these people had been praying for the Bible to come into that language, he put the math together and discussed and realized that the very month that David and Ray began praying for the Bible to get in the Tyre language was the month he got saved. Wow. He also further discovered that when Jerry and Jan began praying, two and a half years later was the same month that he got accepted into a theological college to study for the ministry. And still later, when these two women, Jane and Marjane, started praying, was the month he met a Wycliffe Bible translator who invited him to go to the Wycliffe Institute to study linguistics and languages so he could do a good job of translating the Bible. Today, the Bible has been translated into the Tira language, and there are many Christians in Tira. And all 40,000 have the Bible in their language. Now, what are you praying for? What are you praying for day by day? Let's pray. Why not stand up with me, if you will, as we have this as our closing prayer. Our Father, we all know we need to pray more. I know it for me, 
I'm embarrassed sometimes, Lord, that I don't give more time to prayer. Please help us to make the commitment to do the work of discipling ourselves, disciplining ourselves, to spend the time, even when we don't feel like it, spending time with you. And Lord, I know there are probably many people here in this church who started out having a good time with you in prayer. But Lord, something happened. And they stopped. And they haven't started again. Lord, you know there are some folks who pray when Grandma gets sick, when Uncle John has a heart attack, when Aunt Sue gets cancer, when some loved one is on death's bed and the doctors can't do anything. Lord, we, we have all those kinds of things that come up. But help us to see the importance of praying daily, even when there's no emergency or crisis. And Father, we want to pray for our church, that you will make this a place where the gospel is proclaimed, where people are loved, where the fellowship is sweet and pure and honest, and where Jesus Christ is exemplified day by day in the members of our church, out in the community, in the jobs, in the workplace, in the schools. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.